Well, good morning. My name is Emily. I'm one of the pastors here at CPC. And if you have been around here at all over the last couple months, um, you might be thinking like, we are still in Psalm 23. And we are because we, uh, since April, have been taking this uh, deliberately slow soak in one of the most beautiful passages of Scripture. And one of the things that we've been inviting our community to do throughout that time is actually get this into our memories. And so uh, for one last time together as we wrap up Psalm 23, I'm going to invite you to stand and together as you're able. And together we are going um, to say together Psalm 23, if you can. Uh, You don't have to follow along with the screens, but they are there if you need it. And if I mess up, just keep going. So we'll start together. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. This is God's word for us. You may be seated. So some of you know that back in June, I was in Israel with a team of folks from CPC. It was a beautiful, amazing time. Um, I have no chill about it. It was awesome. So um, we were touring different places and sites that are in the Bible that we read about, but we were also visiting and spending time with one of CPC's mission partners, NEC, or Nazareth Evangelical College. NEC is a school that equips ministers leaders and pastors from predominantly Palestinian Arab Christian backgrounds to serve the church and to serve the church with a unique calling to be peacemakers in a part of the world where there has been really deep religious, political, ethnic conflict um, throughout history, but especially pretty intensely over the last 100 years. So we'll share a little bit more about our trip next week in worship. But um, on this day, in this picture, um, we were visiting the remains of a village called Biram, um, which is a town in Northern Israel, really close to the border of Lebanon. And the woman next to me in the middle there, her name is Nahida. And Nahida is a descendant of the town of Biram. And throughout like the, you know, 18 and 1900s, we know that Biram was mostly this Palestinian Christian farming community. About a thousand people lived there for many given time and they would farm things like olives and figs and vineyards. And Nahida was telling us about this. And then she told us about what happened to Biram in 1948, which was the year that Israel became a state in the wake of the Holocaust. And that year in the fall, uh, Israeli troops came to Biram, um, presumably in an attempt to secure Israel's northern border with Lebanon. But in doing that, they, they forcibly expelled everyone from the village of Biram, including Nahida's grandparents, her father. Um, they were stripped of their land and their homes. They were told it would just be two weeks that they had to leave. And then two weeks became months, and then months became 
years. They weren't allowed back. Even in the 50s, the Israel Supreme Court ruled that there was no reason that people from Biram couldn't come back to their village. But right after that ruling, the military bombed all of the houses that were there. And so they they were not able to return. And even to this day, 75 years later, the only way that people, descendants of Biram, have been able to return is after they have died to be buried in a cemetery that they were allowed to build there. And that story, you know, I share, it's not, it's definitely not the whole picture of what's going on in Israel-Palestine, but it's one story that I think highlights part of the most fundamental issues involved in the conflict. It also highlights one of the most basic needs of our existence as humans, which is, where is home? Where can I live and work and rest in security, get my needs taken care of? Who are the people that care for me? Where can I grow and flourish and love? It's so simple, but I feel like both scripture and history shows us that the answer to that question has not always been easy or simple all the time for God's people, either um, when we're talking about, you know, the time of the Bible and the Psalms, or we're talking about the time of today. And I know that a lot of us here today, you probably have not been forcibly displaced um, from our homes, but I think a lot of us probably relate to that question. Sometimes we still feel that the realities, the pressures, the anxieties of this life can awaken in us this question, where is my home? What is home? Where do I find security and rest? That's why it's so beautiful that when we get to the end of Psalm 23, it has this line, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And I think this one line truly just sums up what the entire Psalm 23 is about, which is this idea that, My peace, my security, even my joy do not depend upon my circumstances, but they depend upon the God who is always with me. Whether I am in green pastures or deep valleys, whether I am resting by quiet waters or I am in the presence of enemies that really scare me, no matter what, because I am with God, I am always at home. That's, I think, what this is saying to us. I am always at home with God. Now, as Christians today, I think when we hear this phrase, dwell in the house of the Lord forever, we tend to imagine it as kind of this like future destination, uh, a promise about maybe like the afterlife, like we're gonna go to heaven when we die. It's gonna be awesome. And I don't think that's necessarily a wrong way to think about this, but I do think maybe it's a little bit incomplete. Um, Because the Hebrew here, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever, literally says something more like, I will dwell in the Lord's house for length of days, meaning something like for the rest of my life, for the many long days that lay ahead of me, I will dwell with the Lord. And so when we read it like that, I think we get to see that this last statement in Psalm 23, it's not just a prediction for the future. Instead, I think it's a description about a particular quality of relationship with God that is totally available to us now. And so I want to unpack that. First, who is the God that invites us to dwell with him? Um, And here's a moment when I'm going to invite you, if you haven't, to actually grab a Bible from the pew rack and open it to Psalm 23. I'll give you a second to do that. 
because I want you to look at the way something is written there. Um, when you are in Psalm 23, you can almost think of it like the first verse and the last verse are kind of like bookends. Um, and both of those bookends give God's name to us. The Lord is my shepherd and I will dwell in the house of the Lord. Now, some of you know this already, but if you open your Bible to Psalm 23 and throughout the Old Testament, sometimes the word Lord is written in kind of a, a funky way. It's like a big capital L with like little baby caps, O-R-D. And it says that in Psalm 23. And I want you to start paying attention to this when you see this in scripture, because it's really important. Um, Lord, when it is written like that with the caps, it's not a title like Lord Grantham from Downton Abbey or um, a Sith Lord. That's Star Wars, right? Sith Lord. <laughs> uh, it's not like that. The Lord in all, you can, you know what TV I like. Um, the Lord in all caps like this, it is a marker for us indicating where the original Hebrew text spells out the ancient name of Israel's God, which in our alphabet are, uh, would be all consonants, this Y-H-W-H. Um, it may have been pronounced something like Yahweh. And over time, Jewish people regarded the word as too holy to be pronounced, too sacred. And even today, when they're reading scripture out loud, when Jews are reading scripture out loud, they will, when they come across this word, they will replace it with a filler word that's not there in the Bible, in the Hebrew. They'll say Adonai instead of this. And Adonai uh, literally means my Lord in Hebrew. So that's why in our English versions, we translate this word as Lord. And the reason that this is important here that the Psalm 23 is using the name of God here is because that name of God is revealed to the people of Israel at a very crucial moment in their story when they are slaves in Egypt. Uh, in the book of Exodus, God initiates a plan to rescue his people from slavery. I mean, he shows up to this man named Moses in a burning bush and God tells Moses the next steps that he needs to take to go and confront the Egyptian Pharaoh who has enslaved the Israelite people. And God promises that he's gonna use Moses to deliver the people from slavery and bring them to a new homeland. And then God says to Moses, when people ask you, ask you who, sent, uh, who sent you to them, tell them it was me. Say, tell them that it was I am, Yahweh. And he gives Moses this name. And then throughout the whole Old Testament, this name of God will always be connected and associated with the promises of God, with his loyalty to his people, with his ability to rescue them and save them, and specifically with the way that he gives them a homeland. And so when Psalm 23 uses the Lord like this, it's not just a title of respect, it is a name of intimacy and commitment. It is not just any Lord, it's the Lord God of Israel. And the word is evoking the memory of this God who hears the cries of his people and reveals himself as all power. He delivers them from freedom. He provides them rest. He creates a space of flourishing for them. 
This is the God who has already demonstrated that he is a home-making God. And that is the God that we dwell with. And then next, where do we dwell with this Lord? We dwell with him in his house. And when any of the Psalms say house of the Lord, usually they are referring to the temple as a place of worship. And the temple was the place where uh, symbolically heaven and earth would overlap. And it was like the command central of God's presence and rule amidst his creation, his dwelling. But if you looked at the other cultures around Israel, their temples were kind of just like houses to the gods and all the people were just supposed to serve and take care of the house and keep everything good for the God, build up the God's ego, like keep you happy. Um, But that's not how Israel's God wanted to be worshiped. This God isn't a king sitting on a cushion and eating bonbons with all of his servants scurrying around. Um, Worship in this God's temple was also always about finding a home in his presence, receiving actually all of the things that Psalm 23 has been celebrating, provision and refreshment and rest and, and comfort and suffering and goodness that chases after us. And while the the temple that King Solomon, the son of King David, built was super important to the worshiping life of Israel and scripture, temple language actually gets used to describe a lot more than just the temple as a building. Um, For example, in Genesis, temple language is used to describe all of creation. The whole earth is like a temple that God creates as a place of flourishing for his creatures. It's where God makes a home for creatures. Jesus then begins to use temple language to describe himself, telling people that he is the place where God's glory is fully revealed on earth most clearly. And then later he will tell his disciples, abide in me, dwell in me. Later then the early church will describe itself as living stones in a new temple that God is building to make his presence known on earth by the power of the spirit through this multicultural gathering of people who specifically make that presence of God known by the way that they show hospitality to others and welcome them in. And finally, When scripture talks about the future of what is to come, the new heavens and the new earth are depicted as a new temple coming down into creation. And Revelation 21 will say, look, God's dwelling place is now with us. God dwells with us. And so in all these spaces, God is inviting his people to dwell with him in worship. Yes, Uh, The house of the Lord is a future destination, but it's also a quality of worshipful relationship with God that we can have now. And whether we look back to the dawn of creation or we look ahead to the future, we see that God's purpose has always been to create a home with and for his people. And as Christians, we believe that in the here and now, the fullness of being home with God is opened up to us through the death and resurrection of Jesus and the presence of the Spirit that gathers us together as a household of faith. And so because of that, even now, even while we wait for this new home and God's good future, we can experience what it means to be at home with God now. And so that makes me want to ask myself and you, um, 
what difference does that make? What difference does it make to know that no matter what, even now, I can experience what it means to be at home with God. I can experience God as the one making a home for me to dwell in with him. Well, first, I think it means that we get to live no longer as slaves, but as beloved children. I am not a slave, but I am a child. I dwell in the house of the God of Israel, the God who frees his people from slavery. And his lordship is not like the lordship of Pharaoh who forced the Israelite slaves to make bricks without straw, to do something impossible to try to survive. This God doesn't need me to puff up his ego with a big building. Instead, this God builds a home for me, prepares a table for me, and delights to care for me. And I don't know about you, but like, I should, I sometimes feel like embarrassed, honestly, because I'm like a pastor and I should like know this, you know, but like, it is so easy to forget this. It is so easy to forget this in the day in and day out of life. We forget that this is what God is like, I think, because every other God that we may attempt to worship in our lives ultimately does enslave us, whether it is the God of success, or pleasing others, or perfectionism, or wealth, or power, our own identities. Um, in my own life, um, sometimes it is keeping other people happy. That is a thing that I just would love to bow down and worship at times. And so then I can start to confuse that maybe dwelling with God is like striving to achieve goals that other people think are important, and they'll be kind of impressed with me. Um, and I'll kind of, you know, internally think like, isn't it like super godly how stressed out I am for Jesus? Um, but rather than freedom, it usually actually feels like a really heavy weight on my chest. And I think about what that feels like in my body. It's like a weight on my chest. And it is like I am running really hard on a treadmill that goes nowhere and I can't catch my breath. But when I read Psalm 23, I see that the moment I have slipped into that stressful striving is usually the moment that I have stopped worshiping this, this God, this Lord, and I've started worshiping something else that will definitely try to enslave me again. And when the Spirit, by God's grace, helps me catch that I'm in that place, it's almost like I can sense God saying to me like, hey, 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 like this place here does not have to be where you live you are invited to come and dwell with me. And so my question for you is, where in your life do you need to remember that you are not a slave, but you are a child who lives in God's house? On the other hand, to dwell in the house of the Lord also means that I am not just an overnight guest, but I am a member of the family. And so while I'm, I'm not a slave, that doesn't mean that I have no responsibilities or no commitment in this house. I think some of us can end up treating God like he's this really great like beachfront uh, Airbnb and like we go for a visit and we're feeling a little tired and we're like, wow, like God's house is just like so relaxing and like the brunch is like so great, the coffee's so good. Um, and then we're like, thanks God, got what I need so I can go back and like live on my own. 
And I think instead, Psalm 23 invites us to imagine dwelling in God's household in a way that involves a little more commitment, maybe even responsibility that like a guest just doesn't have. If you're a member of the household, you help with like the mundane work, like the dishes. Um, You work on relationships with the other family members. You represent the family when you're out and about and you help welcome other people in. You have a role to contribute that grows out of the intimacy of sharing life in the household. And I think some of us know that we've been invited to dwell in God's household, but we're still kind of acting like we're guests. We come to God when we need something and like we leave when we're good. We like the benefits of a relationship with God, but we don't really see how it's connected to a new kind of mission or purpose for our lives. We're not sure if we're ready to go all in and buy the house. Um, And maybe I think we actually think that committing to God is somehow like on a collision path and like at odds with our joy. Um, This past week, I got to spend some time with a missionary couple that CPC supports. They live in a rural area of Lebanon and they are starting small businesses among um, displaced Syrian refugees, um, most of whom are not from Christian backgrounds, but whom they are seeing come to follow Jesus uh, over time in relationship. And this couple was being honest. They were like, you know, life is hard where we are. Like the electricity isn't always great. There's always something with the car or the house that needs to be fixed. We have to speak and use Arabic, which is not our first language and really hard to learn. Um, There's a lot of inconveniences. And they weren't complaining, but they were just being honest. And I think some of us may hear stories of people like that and go like, wow, they have like really committed to the responsibilities of the household. Like they are all in, like they have bought this, this is where they live. Um, And yet my takeaway from spending time with them was not like, gosh, look at how hard and sad they are for Jesus. Um, It was, oh my goodness, these people have a joy in the Lord that I really want in on because they have this front row seat to his presence that comes from drawing near to him, specifically in times of hardship and suffering. And I was just reminded after being with him, like, oh yeah, like like all out devotion to God and his ways and his household is for our joy. It's not just about what we're gonna give up or what we're gonna lose. It's about what we're gonna gain. And so my question is, where in your life is God inviting you to commit and move in to the house, to take on your role as a member of the family? To me, um, one of the greatest, most beautiful things about Christian faith is that the way that God decides to make a household for us is by moving in with us, taking on human flesh and deciding to dwell with us. Last month in Israel, as we visited all these places where Jesus was born, where he lived, where he died, um, I think for our whole team, there was this like new click of awareness. Jesus came and he lived like a totally not cushy life. He got sweat in his eyes. He walked through crowded streets. He got winded climbing steps uh, as he carried a cross on the way to his death. And in particular, this really stood out to me when we visited Bethlehem and we got to see a a cave that would have been used for keeping animals and was probably something similar to the kind of place that Jesus was born in. And it reminded me of a sermon that 
that theologian Karl Barth gave. It was on Christmas Eve and he was giving a sermon as a prison chaplain. And he was talking about how that the messy places, the messy way that Jesus enters into the world, the dark places, the gloomy places, the places that no person would ever wanna live, that that is a representation of the way that Jesus comes in to the most messy places to dwell with us in our lives. And he says this, do not suggest some presumably noble, beautiful, or at least decent compartment of your life and work where you could give the Savior a respectable reception. Not so, my friends. The place where the Savior enters into your life looks rather like the stable of Bethlehem. Down there, Jesus Christ sets up quarters. Praise be to God for this dark place, for this manger, for this stable in our lives because there we need him and there he can use each one of us. There we are ready for him. There he greets us. What else can we do but return his greeting and bid him welcome? And so friends, the place in your life where you still feel like a slave, that's where the Lord comes in and sets up quarters so that he can dwell with you and set you free. And the places in your life where you're still visiting God's house and you're not sure if you wanna stay right there, Jesus is like, I got a bed and a meal for you here. And those places in your life that feel like the exact opposite of a beautiful, glorious temple for the God of the universe, those are the places where he says, I'm already here and I've set up a table that is ready for you. This is the God who makes a home with us so that wherever we go, we are always at home with him. Will you take time to pray with me now? Lord God, as Ashley prayed earlier, as we think about what it means that you create a house for us to dwell in, there's just like no other possible version of you that we could create that would be better than that. God, you are so good. Those places in our lives where we feel like they're too messy or too dirty or we keep struggling, those are the places where you've already said, I'm here and I'm waiting for you. So I pray that you would open our eyes to see the places where you are longing to dwell with us and that that would make a difference that that would help us to live as your free children, and that that would help us to live as members of your household who have taken on your mission. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. During this time, oh, during this time, um, we're just gonna have a moment of some reflection. Maybe God is speaking to you about a place in your life where he's like, hey, I'm here. I, I would love for you to welcome me. I wanna dwell with you here. And the band is gonna just sing a song over us. So take this time, you can pray silently. You can pray along with the words of the song if that's helpful. We just want you to take some time to dwell with the Lord in this moment.